Let's give that one another round of applause. I'm going to hide some of your stuff here. So how is everyone today? Good? Had a little bit of rain falling from the sky. We've got our own problems, but we're here and dealing with it, right? Today we turn to the book of James. It's that little epistle towards the back of the New Testament. Uh, there's a nice, lovely song my wife tried to teach me to sing to you, but I decided not to. So there you go. I don't have this beautiful mic that transforms things I found out it doesn't actually work for everyone you have to have little talent for it to sound well and so there we are and so a little background on James if you don't remember from last week James uh, brother Jesus steeped in the Old Testament tradition especially that of the wisdom literature now the wisdom literature in Old Testament is kind of broken down into two, two groups you have the uh, wisdom group like Proverbs things it's kind of like how everything is supposed to work. So basically, you do this, good things will happen. It's kind of like a mathematic equation. You do good, God treats you, blesses you. You know, you do bad, God curses you, you know, bad things happen to you. Now, we know Proverbs are general truths about life. That it's pretty much, if you raise a child in the right way, when they grow old, they're going to do the right thing. It's not a guarantee. And so there is a balance in the wisdom traditions. In anything, there is a proper balance. So we have Job on the other side. And so I like to call that when everything bad happens and there's no real reason why. I mean, this is kind of the book of Job. So in these wisdom traditions, you have this is how life is supposed to work. And so we have all these teachings. And on the other side, this is how life is not supposed to work. And this is how you get through these issues. So that was a perfect song. Everyone is going through something. We may do the best that we can to be a good Christian, a good parent, a good spouse, but sometimes we still go through things that are beyond our control. But I'd rather be going through it with him. And so James is half-brother of Jesus, or Jesus' brother, however you want to label it. He was an elder in the church at Jerusalem. So we're looking towards the latter part of his life. Now this letter may in fact be one of the oldest written documents of the New Testament. Not oldest, youngest. However, maybe one of the first letters written, so we'll go with that. And it was written to the dispersion, the diaspora, the scattered people among the uh, Jewish exile, so it was mainly written to Jewish people in these early Jewish churches because in the beginning, the way, the movement within Judaism was not a separate religion. It was a continuation of the promises of all those prophecies. This wasn't something completely different. It wasn't a Jewish faith and it wasn't a Christian faith. This was Judaism fulfilled. And so he wrote that way. He wrote to the churches of the fulfilled people to tell the promises and how to live. It was a very practical God. It was one of those things that if you really didn't understand what he was talking about, it's because you were watching yourself on that monitor back there <laughs> and you, you weren't really listening. Perfect, perfect illustration this morning. And so... Written with wisdom tradition in the background, but also written with the teachings of Jesus. So think Sermon of the Mountain, all those things that Jesus taught us how to live. 
Last week we talked about those who heard the word and became doers. And those who didn't hear the word were like the people who looked at themselves in the mirror and then forgot what they looked like. Well, today we are going to look in the third chapter. And we're going to look right now at verse 2. It tells us this. It says, For we all stumble in many ways. And if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man. Able also to bridle his whole body. So what does that mean? I'm asking you because we're, we're trying to figure out what this is. Perfection. How to be perfect. Do you want to be a perfect person? Do you want to be imperfect in everything you do? We use the illustration of basketball. Now I'm not a basketball player so I'm going to use the illustration of bowling. It is the one professional sports where I have the right physique. And so in bowling, a perfect score is 300. That means you hit strikes the entire way through. Now there is multiplication factors on, on strikes and spares, and, and it rolls over. So you have to hit everything consistently across the board. And so when we look at the sport of bowling, I'm going to call it a sport because I'm a bowler. You have to be consistent. Strikes are good, but this is what usually happens. I'll bowl a strike, I'll gutter the next one, and then pick up three. Not very good, is it? Just wasted all those pins. Now, you can throw a spare, pick up a strike, and you're doing well. It'll add some to it here and there and goes forth. But if you miss one, somewhere along the way, you're not going to get that perfect score. You have to consistently do well in bowling. Now, I went to an archery meet with my son. He's not here with us this morning. His mom's not feeling very good, so he got to stay home. Um, but in archery, a perfect round... There's a possible points of 300, so I compare it to bowling, because I don't know anything about shooting sports, but I can compare it to bowling. And so, when you're doing it for fun, your goal is what? Break 100. That's usually, you want to hit triple digits if you're playing bowling for fun. So, if you get past 100, you did well. Now, that's not perfect, is it? And in this archery competition, you have to be very consistent. Not just consistently hitting the target, but hitting that little bitty circle in the middle. Three shots per round, ten rounds per set. You have to put that thing in the center every single time. Add that up. Thirty shots in the bullseye if you're going to hit a perfect score. You think that's easy? No. You should see some of these kids though especially some of the seniors and juniors. They've got these compound bows with the sights. I mean, it looks like they're ready to take on some kind of zombie apocalypse with all this gear. And they can put that thing almost there every time. But every now and then, they'll get one over into red. And for us, that's a great shot, right? But for them, no. That was a bad shot. I mean, you hit almost dead center of the target because, I mean, that's, boom, right there. But it wasn't good enough because when you add up all those scores, those were points lost. There were points wasted because they had one point of inconsistency. Now, this scripture today is talking about our mouth. So let's think about that in the terms of a perfect score. You may have volunteered to teach Sunday school, preach a sermon, lead a Bible study. Maybe you prepared and you, you just gave a great 
lecture. I mean, you were just pulling out theology and great references and everybody got it. And then you walk out that door and you see that dog over there peeing on your truck tire. And you lose it. You start screaming, obscenities, things like that. You're just chasing that dog and trying to kick it. Don't act like you haven't thought about it. I see some of y'all's vehicles, and y'all keep them nice. I mean, if you can keep them clean with the weather that we have here, that means you care for them. So, if you do that, what did they learn in your lesson? Not much, huh? We have examples in the church history of great ministers and great leaders who one time slip. Where's their ministry? It's washed right down the drain. And so that is one of the reasons this chapter starts off with a, a warning. It says, not many of you should become teachers, my brothers. For you know you, will be, you who teach will be judged for a greater strictness. Now, is this saying no one should take on the teaching ministry? No. There's even arguments on what's this. Maybe this is just referring to pastor. So not everybody's supposed to be a pastor or preacher. These kind of things. But what it's saying is those who speak a lot. Have a greater opportunity of sin. And our sin is in our speech. Because we not only have to be imperfect in the words that we say. But in how we speak to others later. We are held to a greater demand. If you've gathered in these walls today, people outside our doors, they look at you. And you are teaching them about this Jesus, whether you like it or not. So maybe your mouth is silent, so you're okay, I'm just not going to say anything. But now it comes to your actions. So remember, doers of the word last week, these are all connected. Our speech is connected in our doing. And so... Speech is kind of like a litmus test. Do you remember these things? Litmus tests are are kind of a a catchphrase now in in our common vernacular. But litmus tests were like these little strips that you could put it in a solution to find out if it was acidic or alkaline. You put it in, turn red for one color, blue for another. That's our speech. It's our litmus test. If we can control that tongue then we're doing well. Then we are truly connected with the Spirit. As the song says, you are the breath in our lungs and we will praise you. That's what comes out. But let's look at some of these examples that James gives us. Let's see how he divides it up. Well, look again. Let's just start at verse 1 again and we'll read through. It says, Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers. For you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. For we all stumble in many ways. And if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man, able to bridle his whole body. If we put bits in the mouths of horses so that they obey us, we guide their whole body as well. Bridle, we all get that. Look, look at the ships also. Though they are so large and driven by strong winds, they are guided by a very small rudder. Whatever the will of the pilot directs, 
little rudder, big boat. So also the tongue, small member, yet it boasts of great things. You know, I once caught a fish this big, just like that. So how great a a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. And the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, straining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of our life, and set on fire by hell. For every kind of beast, bird, of reptile, and sea creature can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind. But no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil, full of deadly poison. With it, we bless our Lord and Father. And with it, we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. Such a little thing. Sticks and stones may break my bones, but words can never hurt me. It's the biggest lie that we ever tell, isn't it? Because we know words can wound somebody deeper than a punch to the jaw. Have you ever watched boys and girls when they're young that have arguments? A lot of times boys will take it out with fists and blows. Fight's over, they're best of buds again. Girls, oh. Yeah, well, you know where I'm going with that one. I mean, they'll be angry for months at each other. Because they fight with their words. Guys, you ever try to win a fight with your your spouse? Where do they come up with these? Their memory is indefinite. It's like the elephant. But don't ever call her an elephant because then that's another story. (laughs) We know these words are true. This is the kind of proverbial thing about the scriptures. It's wisdom at its finest. If we are able to control our tongue... We can control everything about our life. But James here, he points out, (laughs) he kind of goes back to the idea of creation in Genesis. He pulls from this. He says, we can tame all kind of wild animals. We've domesticated many. He said, but no one is able to tame the tongue. It's true. Think about the wildest beast out there. Think about a lion in his element on the African savanna. There are people who live there. There are people who will put fencing up and sticks to keep these things out. They'll create war parties to get rid of them. You know, I've seen lions in real life. Guess where I've seen them? In a zoo behind a big old thick piece of glass. You could walk up and I mean, I'm inches from this thing. We can tame even a wild beast. may not be the same as taming a horse to do what we want. But we can force even the wildest creature on this planet to do our will. So that we may observe them in a cage. And see what they really look like. The tongue is like a bit in a horse's mouth. If we've learned to control it, we can control our destinies where we go. But like many of us, 
We can control it at times. But when we're fatigued, when we're tired, when we're out of our element, sometimes that tongue gets us in trouble, doesn't it? Gets me that way all the time. If I haven't rest enough, if I haven't slept enough, you know, these kind of things. I'll be quick-tempered, I'll be crabby, and I'll say stuff that I instantly regret. So we use this expression, if you want to be perfect, you must first contain, tame the tongue. So how do we do that as Christians? How do we tame this little member this something that makes up such a small portion of our body? How do we do that? If you're a computer guy, you know this expression, or at least you did if you grew up in the 80s. Gigo. Garbage in, garbage out. It was a programming saying. It means if you program garbage, you get garbage out. For James's audience, for those who grew up with the scriptures, we know what we have to do. But we don't always feed the right thing. If we wake up with the word, if we wake up in prayer and we feed on the spirit, the spirit is what fills our lungs. And that is how we praise our Lord. But if we fill it up on the things of this world, the evil, the unrighteousness, if we listen to garbage on the radio or movies on TV, if we read books, listen to lectures of hate, that is what's filling our soul. And when we are tired, when we are off our guard, that garbage is what is going to spill out of our mouths. You know, and this isn't talking about just reframing from cursing. It's not talking about just those things that we all agree with are filthy words to say. You know, some of the sweetest, gentlest sounding people in our church can be some of the meanest ladies you've ever met. Now, you probably can name a few. Please don't. But we may have some here today. Never evil thing on their plate, in their reading, in their home. But yet, they can put somebody down with a look and a single word. That is not of God. That is the unrighteousness that is of the devil. It's demonic. For our words should encourage, should uplift, should speak the truth. Now, sometimes we avoid the truth because we don't want to hurt somebody's feelings. But an atheist once said, if you Christians truly believe those words that you read and you don't come to help save me, you either must hate me or it's not true. Think about that. If you're not willing to speak the truth, but in a way that uplifts, that encourages, you must hate them. It's not about being friendly and nice, but it's about the truth of the gospel. If someone is a sinner, and you can offer the message that will lift them up, and you don't, you're guilty of these words. 
And so we go back. James asks, does a spring pour forth from the same opening fresh water and salt water? So what's he asking? Can you get fresh water and salt water from the same source? No, you get brackish water. You get some pretty looking dolphins swimming through that stuff, but you can't drink it. Have you ever seen these purple dolphins? It's interesting. Live in these strange environments, kind of a cross between salt water and fresh. But you can't drink it, can you? Won't sustain you. It looks good. It may wet the tongue, but all it'll want you do leave you is asking for more. It says, Can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives? Or a grapevine produce figs? Neither can a salt pond yield fresh water. Simple things to understand what he is saying. Who is wise and understanding among you? He asks this question. Who would you consider wise? Who would you consider to have understanding? You would want your teachers to be that way. He says, but if you have bitter jealousy and self-ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. This is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but is earthly, unspiritual, and demonic. So what is feeding you? What is giving you the drive for perfection? Is it about being the best at what you can be? Or is it about sharing God's love with others? For one of these sources is demonic. And one of these sources comes from above. And so one of the root things that we can look at. It's not about the buzzer shots, or a well-placed three-pointer. But it's about being consistent in those little things, those layups, easy two-point shots, a free throw. No one's guarding you. It's just you and the goal. These are the ones that we can't miss. If we constantly miss these things, we will lose every game we play. It's about those little things. It's about those little times you spend with God every day. If we want to be perfect, if we want to strive for what God has in store for us, we must consistently do these things. Wake up, think about God. Go to sleep, think about God. You know, many of you still keep the hours of prayer. That may be too Catholic for some of you, but we do. We don't call it that. We call it the blessing or a prayer over our meal. Do that consistently. If you wake up, you fix your bowl of cornflakes, thank God for the day. If you take a break from work and you go get a burger, thank God that he has given you life. If you come home, join your family. Thank God for that meal. Ask him to remind you to be consistent. Three times throughout your day. Very easy. Breakfast, lunch, and supper.
Can you do that? If you're not doing that, I'm not asking you to do much. Say a blessing over your meal. If you can do that consistently and you're still having problems being consistent with your mouth, add a little Bible reading in the morning. Come to a few more Bible studies. Gather with friends. Serve. When you get out of your own self-centered state and you serve others that are less fortunate than you, you're reminded how truly blessed you are. Like the song says, everybody's going through something. If your something seems bigger than everybody else's, you're not really looking well enough. You're only looking at yourself. So these are the little things. This isn't a message that's going to push you to do great things. It's not, I'm not calling you down to go serve overseas as a missionary in the Congo. You know, We're not doing that kind of altar call. Now, if God is leading you to that, don't count it out. I'm asking you to do the little things and do them consistently. Probably far harder than volunteering to go to the Congo. So who wants to go to the Congo? I know. I mean, it's kind of... So it's the little things. Tongue, one of the smallest parts of your body. But yet that thing can get you in so much trouble. If we learn to control that, we can find perfection in this life. Please join with me for a word of prayer. Our good and gracious Heavenly Father, we are so thankful for your word. We are thankful for the witness of Scripture. Lord, these simple things... They sound so easy, but we know in reality that they are probably some of the hardest things in life to do. But Lord, teach us that it is not in our strengths that we are able to succeed, but it is in the strength that you bestow on us. It is in the spirit that fills our lungs, that allows our life to praise you. Lord, we may fail every day. Let your spirit chide us. Let it guide us. Let it move us in the direction that you would have us. Because we know apart from you, we can do nothing. But it is through our faith we can do all things. Oh, you strengthen us. It's in your name we pray. Amen. And now as we enter our time of invitation, if you have decided that Jesus Christ is going to be your Lord and Savior, and today is the day you're going to make that publicly known, please come forward. If you decide that First Baptist Church should be your home church, please come forward. If you're in need of prayer, please come forward at this time.